Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. We're in a study entitled The Songs of Summer. The book of Psalms is a songbook. It was given by God's people through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to learn, to sing, to repeat. They have many different themes, the Psalms do. The Psalms are just poems set to music, and God's people would sing them. Some of the songs in this songbook are songs of praise and and celebration. Some of them are difficult times. They're psalms of comfort. Last week, Pastor Berkey shared with us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Uh, he leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great comfort. And how many thousands of times has that psalm been repeated in difficult times or in the loss of a loved one as people were navigating through the issues of loss and found a comfort with that psalm. Today's psalm could be entitled, when we're in Psalm chapter 37, could be similar to a song that was written in the late 1980s, and that song is Don't Worry, Be Happy. In 1988, Bobby McPherson wrote these lyrics. He said this, Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Oh, you know it! Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that it continues. But when you worry, uh, in every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry together. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy now. Man, this is just kind of puts you in a good mood whenever you sing that. I listened to it three times on the way into church this morning. My poor kids, some of you are about ready to take your cell phones out and get that next verse, and that's not happening. So you'll have to go to experienceliberty.com in order to find out. So he wrote this verse, and when he wrote this verse, or wrote this song, um, fun song, interesting song. I was in, in my sermon prep this week. I watched many YouTube videos of this song, and I've watched Robin Williams dancing with him in a, a comical manner. Just a fun song that helps you remember, don't worry, be happy. Now, Bobby McPherson's take on this thought is, look at me. I'm happy. And since I'm happy, you should be happy too. One of the verses of the song say, if you don't have any money for your rent, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Why? Because Bobby McPherson's happy. And then, then he also says, the next time you feel like worrying, I'll give you my number. You call me. I'll make you happy. And it's very centered on, hey, I'm happy. And since I'm happy, you should be happy. And there is some truth with that. I think that happiness can be contagious, don't you? When you smile, it, I like to be around happy people more than I do discouraged people, don't you? So there is a thought that there is some truth that happiness can be contagious, but I don't want my happiness to be dependent upon Bobby McPherson or Paul Todorovic. 
or Mario Giannini because he's a White Sox fan and they have very little to celebrate. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of things that I don't want my happiness to be dependent upon somebody else. So the Holy Spirit of God, when we read Psalm chapter 37, it gives us six commands on how to be happy, how to not worry, be happy. And then he gives us uh, some things to consider and then some things to celebrate. And so when we look at these six commands, I want you to maybe write these down and understand there's a progression in them. Now, the person who's writing these psalms has every privilege to speak about not worrying and being happy. King David, the man who, if you go to Jerusalem today, his star is flying over in allegiance. It's, it's, the, it's the banner of Israel today. It's an amazing, amazing individual King David was. King David had the privilege of being able to speak to folks about this concept of not worrying and being happy. King David, when he was just a young man, enjoyed the job of caring for his father's sheep. That was his entire existence. Day in, day out, he'd take care of the mom and dad's sheep. Take care of the sheep. Take care of the sheep. One day, he was out tending the sheep and watching over them, making sure the sheep were doing whatever the sheep were supposed to be doing. And he hears a call from the distance, David! David! And David stands to attention. Yeah! Your dad said, come to the house right away. All right. I got the sheep. Just go. Can you see that young teenage boy, maybe 15, 16 years old, in all of the hurried expectation of meeting his father's demands? He runs back to the house. The Bible tells us when he gets there, he is ruddy. And with a, he's a good countenance. So he's a young, good-looking kid. But he's run so much so that his face is probably flush with the redness of perspiration and sweat and getting there as quickly as possible. When he walks in, all of the seven brothers are standing there like this. And his dad's like, oh, son, come on in. And he looks over in the corner, and there is one of the most notable people in all of Israel. His name is Samuel. And Samuel looks at him and says, come here. You're the one. I'm the what? Kneel before me. And he takes out a vial of oil. And he pours it upon David's head and he anoints David to be the next king of Israel. Wow. David stands up. They probably have a little bite to eat and the day ends. And the next day, David goes out and takes care of the sheep again. And things just seem to progress without any event. And then one day, he goes out to a battle and he knocks the head off of a guy named Goliath. And then we find him in the palace. And then we see anger raging upon David because all of the affection that Saul, the current king of Israel, had was being directed now to this young guy named David. The Bible tells us that Saul puts his ire upon David. In fact, on more than one occasion, he takes a javelin and he throws it at David, trying to take his life. David escapes and flees and goes out. And David realized it's no good for him to be inside of Saul's house any longer, even though he is now married to Saul's daughter. He's the son-in-law of the king. David goes and flees. And David, for more than a decade, many people believe, is living as public enemy number one. He's the anointed king of Israel. But he's hiding in caves. This is a picture of some of the caves of Engedi from modern day. He's hiding in caves. When we think about going out and camping, 
we think of a beautiful, serene place with nice canvas and propane, and many of you even bring your satellite TVs along. <laughs> Except for Mario, because he's a White Sox fan, and they're just going to lose anyway. But besides that, everyone's having a good day. So we think of camping, and it's recreational, but not David. David, when he's going camping, he's trying to find some place of comfort inside of this horrible terrain, desert, exposed to the elements, hiding back in caves, underneath open stars. And for more than a decade, many people believe, he's going through this constant persecution. He's going through this constant struggle at the hand of King Saul, at the hand of the man who's supposed to be delivering God's promises in his life. He's literally living as the enemy of God's chosen people. When David writes this psalm, he's not writing it as a young man. In fact, look at verse 25. The Bible says in verse 25, I have been young and now am old. So when David is writing this, he's not a youth. He's not a teenager. He's not in his 20s. In fact, he's probably near death. David died at around 70 years of old. So at 70 years of age, so probably in his late 60s, David is writing this as a psalm of comfort, as a psalm of praise to God, but helping to give instruction and wisdom on how these things work in life and how God behaves himself. It says, so I've been young and I've been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And so Psalm chapter 37 gives us a command. It gives us six commands that we are supposed to follow. And then it gives a contrast. It gives a contrast between those who would do that which is wicked, and it gives a contrast between those who do that which is good. And he says, look at what happens with the wicked. This happens 100% of the time. And look what happens with the good. The good, this happens 100% of the time. But sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't know which way is up, down, right, left. You don't know. And so you have to have your, bo- uh, your, your bearing straight. You have to know what your direction is because in the middle of the storm, when you're in the cave of Engedi, you can get lost very easy. So let me share with you six commands. Let's look at the contrast so that we can celebrate the goodness of God. Verse number one gives us the first of the commands. If you're there, say yes. The Bible says this, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither wither even as the green herb. In my imagination, I can see David hearkening back to the time where Saul is just threatening him and persecuting him and chasing him and seeking to take his life. And now this old man is thinking about who Saul is, and Saul is a forgotten memory. Nobody is concerned about the legacy of Saul. Nobody is consumed with advancing the memory of Saul because Saul is slain as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And so in verse number one, he says, when you find yourself in a specific situation or a specific trial or a, 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 a hard circumstance, command number one, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Fret not. I like that word. It comes from the Hebrew word chara. Fret not. 
Let's learn some Hebrew together. Chara, on the count of three. One, two, three. Chara. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Chara. <laughs> Almost sounds Klingon, doesn't it? <laughs> it means this. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. What our tendency is, is when we see something difficult happening, when we see a challenge that's about to approach, or when we become worried about something, our tendency is to to warm it up a little bit, don't we? And almost like nurturing a campfire, we blow on it. We try to get that flame going. We, we let it spark just a little bit. Click, 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 click. Almost like you were on Tuesday night with those little fuses. Click, 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 click. The idea is with Chara, don't click, 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 click at it. Don't put any attention at it. You, you, don't, you don't let it fease up. You don't let it burn up. You don't even let there be a spark in it. Now that's against our human nature. Because we can worry about a lot of things, can't we? We can worry about the political environment of our country, can't we? We can worry about the economic environment of our country, can't we? We can worry, we can worry about Ukraine and gas prices and NV Energy. How many of you got your power bill this week? Envy Energy just sent me a... They, they've been sending me these, these emails. Here's your Envy Energy snapshot. And when I get the snapshot, I'm like, I don't want to see that. And then they do a comparison between you and your neighbors. And I don't know if there's anything more pharisaical than comparing yourself with your neighbors. Like, well, I'm in the least. I'm not like Eric. <laughs> Eric, you waster. <laughs> Eric's my neighbor. At least I'm not like Eric. He must waste so much energy. I'm in the good category. He's in the average but when I get that, I look at my bill and I'm like, oh, envy energy, traffic. Oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do? This is what God says to do, because we can worry about a number of different things. We can worry about COVID, we can worry about sickness, we can worry about uh, job opportunities, we can, work about, we can worry about everything. In fact, we could almost be professional worriers. If someone could make money for worrying, we'd be really good at it, wouldn't he? How many of you know somebody who worries a lot? How many of you are raising your hand and you're that person, right? <laughs> Just can worry. We worry. And this is, what the, this is what David says. He says, don't even allow it to click, 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 start. What we do is we start cooking with charcoal. And then we pour lighter fluid on it. <laughs> Here's a problem. That's a problem and we stay up at night. That's a real problem. We need to fix this problem. Honey, get me the lighter fluid. <laughs> Honey, I have no more eyebrows. <laughs> and the Lord says, here's command number one. Command number one. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do you know somebody who's doing wrong? You ever had somebody violate you? You ever had somebody that, you, that, that seems to be doing well, but you know who they really are? I know who they really are. When they, they did this, and they did this, and how come they get to drive that car and live in this house, and it seems like God doesn't care? Somebody needs to care. If God's not going to care, I'm going to. 
And do you see what we do? We put ourselves in a position of God. God says, chara! Chara! Don't click, click, click that fuse. Don't click, click, click that fuse. Then he gives us a second command. Fret not. But then he says, number two, trust. If you're saved here this morning, say yes. yes. If you're saved and you said yes, that means you came to a point in your life someday where you understood, I'm a sinner. Because I've sinned, I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. In fact, my sin is so bad, it has separated me from God, and I don't deserve heaven. In fact, I deserve to go to hell. And there's no baptism, there's no church membership, there's no amount of money, there's no good deed or vice that I could absolve myself from that would ever merit the holy favor of a wonderful God. I deserve hell. But Jesus, God in human flesh, died on the cross to pay for my sins. He was buried and he rose again, proving that he's God and everything he said is true. And he offers me salvation free of charge. So I understand that not by works of righteousness, which why I have done, but according to his mercy, he saved me. The Bible tells us this, that uh, for by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's a beauty in understanding that when I come to Jesus Christ as my Savior and I say, Lord, I've sinned, but you've forgiven and I accept your forgiveness, I get to go to heaven, not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus paid for my sin. What a wonderful truth. And so there is this trust that if you know Christ is your Savior, you trust God. If you know Christ is your Savior and you trust God, say yes. Okay, so there is, if you just said yes, there is this overwhelming culture, let's say it that way, this overwhelming culture of trust in your life. That if I were to say to you, Sam, do you trust God? You would say If you didn't, it would have blown the whole illustration, Sam. So thank you for saying yes. Okay, I trust God. Why? I trust God. I trust God. Now, this word trust is a little bit different word than that that all-encompassing. Of course I trust God. This word trust is the word batak from the Hebrew word, and it means for a specific advent. Okay, what's that mean? If you're saved this morning and trust God, say yes. Now, don't answer out loud, but do you ever worry about something? A situation shows up on the news. Oh, my goodness. You get a report back. Oh, my goodness. You get a health diagnosis. Oh, my goodness. And don't you trust God? You even have this culture of trusting God. You trust God that you go to church. You are a God truster. You are a trusting of trust God. You trust God. That's the whole culture of your life. But then this specific situation comes up, and it's like, eh, I need to worry about that one. Do you trust God? Oh, yeah, I trust God. Yeah, he's taking me to heaven. I love Jesus. Died and cross buried for my sin. He is aw- Jesus is awesome. But yeah, I just got to worry about this thing. The word trust, look at verse number three. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. And then it's accompanied with another action verb, Do. How do I trust in the Lord? Okay, this is how I'm going to trust the Lord. There's a war in Ukraine! Ah! I trust the Lord. What am I supposed to do about it? Do good. What am I supposed to do about the war in Ukraine? 
To be honest with you, there's very little Matthew Tice can do about the war in Ukraine. So you know what God tells me to do? Go to work tomorrow. Do good. Be nice to Brianna. Maybe even buy her something, like flowers. And if she does good, she'll give me a kiss for it too. <laughs> Trust in the Lord and what? Do good. What's do good? Be kind. Be forgiving. Pay my envy energy bill. <laughs> well, well, I want to, but there's this really big problem with Ukraine. You know what I can do? I can, I can, I can make my car payment, and I can love my kids. And when the nine-year-old's acting like a nine-year-old boy sometimes acts, I, I discipline him as a father. What's that doing? That's doing good. This is so beautiful because I don't have to worry about what's happening in Washington, D.C. Do I? All the time. I really do. I saw what was going on in Delaware yesterday. Kind of made me a little confused, too. So there's things that are going on all the time where I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? I don't know. I, I got to fix I, So I get concerned about things, but I can't do a whole lot about that. But you know where I have a lot of autonomy and, let me say this, a lot of sovereignty? I have a lot of sovereignty about what I do tomorrow, and what I do this afternoon, and how I treat my family, and how I pastor a church, and how I interact with Christians, and how I live my life on a day-by-day basis. So the Bible says, trust in the Lord for that specific event, and you do good. One preacher said it this way, brush your teeth. What are you supposed to do? Make your bed and brush your teeth. So brush your teeth. In the whole, and this is what's beautiful. God takes, his, takes ordinary people and he puts them in extraordinary circumstances when they're obedient to him. And rather than looking for the miracle answer to ch 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 chia grow yourself out of the problem, God desires for us to where we are in our specific days, in our specific lives, to pay our envy energy bill, to love our spouses, to raise our children, to, to do what is right. Trust in the Lord. Well, this, this is a big event going on. Trust in the Lord and do good. Just do good. What's the right thing to do? Well, I, if I was doing the right thing, I would do this, then do that. But I really want to make a difference. Okay, then do, do, do good. Do good. Isn't that easy? It's not so complicated. Then check this out. Then he says to delight. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. A couple weeks ago, I told you that I messed my back up in a mud pit. And some of you were so kind, and some of you weren't. So I was walking like this. And, and I went to the chiropractor for the first time in 30 years. And when I went to the chiropractor, that guy looked at me. He's like, whoa. He said, you're kind of messed up, aren't you? Yeah. He said, come on over here. Lay down. And he put me on the table. He said, and he started feeling my back, and he started feeling my, uh, my hips. He said, oh, man, your hips are all out of line. And I said, I know. And then he did some things, and he's cracking me, and he's, he did this thing uh, with my neck where he's like, okay. And I felt like I was in a 1980 martial arts movie with Bruce Lee, you know, where he would just kill somebody and be like, Wah! He takes my neck, and he goes, one, two, three, Whoa! and my whole neck went, Wah! ooh. <laughs> and then he did the other way, Wah! 
And then he took this leg and he said, okay, breathe in and then exhale. And as I was exhaling, he took the whole weight of his body. It's a big dude, like 6'2". It's a big dude, took the whole weight of his body and he yanked on this leg. And when he did, every joint from my ankle to up here went, and I went like this in his office. (laughs) And then I went, hmm. (laughs) When you go to a chiropractor, he's, he's wanting to get you to a place where you can be onag, delicate, pliable. That's what the word delight is. The word delight is be pliable and be easy. This is not my chiropractor. (laughs) This is one that I took off of Google Images. But he looked like a reputable individual. (laughs) Now, this this is what's fascinating. So oftentimes in life, God has to work at us like a chiropractor because we become so calcitrant in our ways. We become stuck in our methodology or our traditions or our um, attitudes. And we use excuses like, well, you don't know what happened to me as a kid. Or you don't know who my parents are. Or you don't know the difficult situation that I'm going through. Or you don't. And so we throw up excuses. And so when we start to say, okay, God, work, it really hurts a whole lot. Because he literally has to yank our bodies into submission. And the work of God in our life, it hurts. And it's painful because he's yanking and he's pulling and he's twisting and he's because we've just gotten ourselves all out of sorts. And so when we visit the Lord, it's like, okay, God, I don't, I don't even know if I want to do that. Because honestly, I went back to the chiropractor two days later and I was feeling better, but I was a little bit scared of what he would do when he pulled that leg again. Because that moment, it was just a time of deep angst, fret. But I knew it was the right thing to do, okay? The Lord wants us to be delicate towards him. When uh, Brianna and I had our 21st anniversary, one of the gifts I gave her for our anniversary, is I said, why don't you go get a 90-minute massage? And so she went and got a 90-minute massage. I don't know what they do to those people when they go and get a massage, But the smells, the sounds, she said they put on this this music and it had had sound effects. That's a seagull that sounds like a crow. She said, and then... And then they put these oils on my back and she, just, she was just rubbing it. And when, when Brianna came back to it, we were, we were staying at a nice place. When Brianna came back, she was just like, that was the greatest 90 minutes of my life. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. And she was happy and in love and, and it was soft and the music was nice and the... the, the um, uh, the texture of the sheets and the blankets and everything was just, ah, it was delicate, okay? That's where God says he wants us to be in relationship to him. 
So if God, if God were to move us, would you put your hand up for a second? It's easy to move. Does it make sense? Put your hand up again. It's just easy to move. That's how God wants us to be towards him. God, I want you to do this. Oh, it's easy. When the, when the massage therapist says, uh, do this, you say, whatever you say. <laughs> when the chiropractor tells you to do something, you're like, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> the best way I know how, I ask for your forgiveness. <laughs> do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Christians, he says here, are supposed to live in delight. Delight yourself in the Lord so that our interactions with God, it's easy. It move, he can move us easily, not chiseling us out with a sledgehammer. Come on, you knuckleheads! Sometimes, don't you feel like that's how God's working in your life? And it's the same God. It's the same God. But sometimes we just get so stuck in our own patterns that we're not willing to be pliable to him. So fret not. Don't look at what's going on over there. Don't consume you. Don't even click that flame. What do I do instead? I trust God for this specific circumstance. I delight in him. I'm easy to move, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And then I commit myself unto him. Look what the Bible says in verse number five. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Okay, Lord, I'm trusting in you. You're moving me in this direction. This is how I'll go. I'm not, I'm not calcitrant. I'm not hard-headed. God, however you want me to move, this is where I'll go. This is what I'll do. And you're moving me, so I'm committing myself. I'm just falling in your hands. The word commit comes from the Hebrew word galal, which means to roll. It's a great summertime word. Before the aviators moved up to Summerlin, one of the best aspects about Cashman Field was that green hill right beside the parking lot. As a youth pastor one time, we took about 50, 60 teenagers to, that, to go see a 51s game. And as we were going there, I said, hey guys, let's all roll down the hill. And 50 teenagers got on their sides and just rolled, 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 rolled down that hill. Because once you get to a rolling, there's no stop until you get to the bottom. You just roll, 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 roll. It's a fun summertime activity. That's the word commit. The Lord's pushing me in this direction, and I'm just going to roll with whatever he says to do. I'm just... Just whatever he says to do, I'm rolling with it. Then he says, when you roll with it, when you commit, next command, command number five, rest. The word rest comes from the Hebrew word damam. It means this, to be dumb. Not a dumb person intellectually, but a dumb person who is a mute Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Trust in the Lord. Delight in his ways. Commit thy works unto, thy lo unto the Lord. And then the Bible says, rest. The word rest means stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. We're not good about this. 
Because we like to post about things that happened 12 years ago. Well, I feel like I've gotten over it, but I just need to say this one last thing. I feel like I, you know, the Lord's really given me victory, so let me tell you how he gave me victory. Here's my 17-paragraph uh, phrase of how God gave me victory. Stop! If God's forgiven, if God's worked in your life, or you've handed it over to the Lord, you don't need to keep talking about it. Well, I just feel like somebody else needs to hear what I have to say. No, no, they really don't. Just stop. I'm trusting the Lord in this situation, and this is how difficult it is for me to trust in the Lord during this situation. No, it's not. Stop. The word commit means to stop talking, excuse me, the word rest, verse number seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It means to stop talking about it. That's, wouldn't it be wonderful if a lot of Americans just stopped talking? Have you ever watched the news and just be like, turn it off? Just turn it, stop. That's a command from God. The command from God is to rest. What's that mean? Well, I'm rolling down this hill. Let me just enjoy the ride. I wish I were back at the top. How much sooner till I get to the bottom? How is faster everybody else rolling down this hill? No, just enjoy the ride. You're rolling down the hill. You, you committed it, so rest in it. Just rest in what he's doing. And look at what he says. And rest, look at this, look at this adverb. Rest in the Lord and wait. What's the next word? Oh, that's a tough one. Because I don't like to wait. And I definitely don't like to wait patiently. I like to wait fastly. Because when that popcorn goes in, if I'm not eating it in two minutes and ten seconds, something's wrong. And if I had go into In-N-Out Burger and it's longer than 15 minutes, something's wrong here. Rest in the Lord and wait. How? Patiently. 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 Well, I just want to wait. Wait patiently. I'm expect. Are you being patient? Well, I, I told the Lord uh, two days ago that I would do what he told me to do, and I'm just waiting for him to give me. Wait You'll see it patiently. Oh, that is a bad one for us. It's a bad one because we want it now. We want it now. We want it now. I click. Why is it not at my door yet? I, I'm part of the prime. I pay for prime. Why is it not? Gary, your Amazon delivery guy. <laughs> Gary! Gary, where are you, Gary? In a, in a world that's so consumed with fast, now, get it here, done, now, quick. God says, be patient. That's a hard one, but it's a command. Stop talking about it. Be patient. Just let it go. Be patient and enjoy the ride. The last command he gives is here in verse number eight, and it says, cease from anger and forsake wrath fret not thyself in any wise to do evil well I just told her that she needs to do this and if she doesn't do this then something bad's gonna happen it's gonna be really bad I told him I don't know how many times I told him and he just needs to do this fret not fret, fret it, but 
but I just love him so much. Fret not. Trust in the Lord. Do good. You do right. Delight. Be pliable. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Commit. Okay, I'm just going to go all in that this is what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm not going to talk about it, and I'm going to cease. Check it out. I'm going to cease from anger. The word rafa means to let go. Wouldn't it be horrible if somebody's in this environment on a laptop sending emails furiously? If you see somebody on a laptop there, you say, let it go, bro. You're on island time, man. <laughs> One of my favorite things I ever did, I was on Highway 2 in Oahu. And I was driving from Camp Capono over to um, Waikiki Beach. And I had a group of teenagers in this van because we were serving at this camp for a missions trip. It was a wonderful missions trip. So we're driving on Highway 2, and as we're driving on Highway 2 towards Waikiki Beach, I'm in a van full of teenagers, and I look over, and here's a brother, okay? He's part of the Ohana, the family, the island family. And he was... He had no shirt on. He had um, a kind of a beat-up late 80s pickup truck, like a, a Toyota Tacoma, that kind of, maybe a Chevy Love pickup truck. And he was driving on the highway going about 55, 60 miles per hour, and he was passing us, but he wasn't steering. He was steering with his left foot. And with his hands, he was playing the ukulele. And I thought, that man understands island life. He's, he's, he's got something going on there. No joke. And he looked at me, and he threw me a shaka. There you go, brother. And he was just playing. I swear, truth, it really happened. I'm not even joking. And he's playing the ukulele and driving with his left foot. And he, like, Wow. Now, I'm not telling you to take it to that extreme because the spaghetti bowls were problematic enough. <laughs> but what I am saying is, here's what God says to do. Let that thing go. You just let that thing go. What thing? I don't know. What's the thing you're worrying about? What's the problem that you're facing? He gives us commands. He says, fret not, trust Delight, commit, rest, and then let it go. Cease. Let it go. But you don't, because then it's got this appointment, I don't know what's going to happen because of the, let it go. Trust in the Lord, do good. Do what you know is right to do. If you're facing money problems, let Gary go on a little vacation. By the way, Gary will be fine if you let him go on vacation. All right? He doesn't want to come back to your house. He's happy. You'll be okay. Let it go. So he gives commands. In the next five minutes, I want to show you two other things. I want you to see how he contrasts this. Say, well, wicked people, they're getting away with all of this, and bad people are doing all these things, and all these things. Trust in the Lord, do good. Commit thy works, commit thy ways unto the Lord. Cease, fret not. Okay, I got that. I'm God. By the way, I'm still God. <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord doesn't stop being God even if you start taking some of the burden of worry. Like, Lord, I got this part. <laughs> I'll take the 89131 area code just for a few hours. It's on me, Lord, thanks. 
You can't can't even handle your own address. So the Lord says, don't fret. Let's look at the contrast. This is what happens. But wicked people, they're doing wicked things. What's going to happen to the wicked? Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number nine, the wicked shall be cut off. 100% of the time. How many of you know somebody who did something wrong their entire life and was happy and enjoyed it? We call those people miserable, angry, Ebenezer Scrooge type people. They're cut off. They meet their end. Look at verse number 10. Forget a little while and the wicked shall not be. The idea is they cease to exist. Does anybody celebrate King Saul today? Saul, Saul, he's our man. But there's a flag in Jerusalem today that celebrates David. Wow. Saul, who is he? The Bible tells us that the wicked plot evil. Their days are consumed with how they can get those who are right. Look at verse 12. The wicked plotteth evil against the just. Aren't you so glad? And this is what happens. When you put yourself in a position where you've got to put the wicked in their place, you've just swapped places. Let me say it again. When you put yourself in a position where you become the avenger, the executor of righteousness against those who have somehow offended, when you put yourself in that place and you are plotting evil, you just aligned yourself with the wicked. I can let it go. Well, I'm gonna gonna set up this whole scenario and we're gonna get them. God's got his job, let God do his job. Now, there would be some exceptions to that, right? I'm thankful for police officers, aren't you? The Bible tells us that they act as ministers of righteousness for his sake. So I'm really glad whenever police officers get bad guys, aren't you? That's their job. God ordains them. He, they are ministers of righteousness. But um, if, if you're uh, bagging groceries, <laughs> you do not need to be the minister of right. You do not need to become a vigilante. You are not Mad Max. Let it go. They plot evil. This is amazing. Look at verse number three. Look what God does to those who are wicked. The Lord shall laugh at him. You ever seen a little barking chihuahua? You ever seen a big English mastiff? You know, a big oof, 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 oof. English, I have a spot of tea. A big English mastiff, a little barking chihuahua. And they come at a big English mastiff like this. And the English Mastiff's like, poof, it's just a little weenie dog. The Bible says that the Lord laughs at the wicked. The Lord, you're going to do what? I'm still God. I'm still God. The wicked harm themselves. To me, this is where I think it most closely aligns with Saul. Saul took his own life. He fell on his own sword. The Bible tells us that somebody who's wicked is doing self-harm. Perhaps some of their great emotional angst in the self-harm that they're causing is due to sin problems where they're plotting to do that which is evil. They lose their strength. The thing that they boast about in verse number 17 is gone. Well, I'm, I've got enough money. I've got enough youth. I've got enough beauty. I should be able to have a popularity. They lose their strength, and the Bible says they're unable to repay. They become impotent 
in their ability to pay back the debts that they have. Charles Spurgeon, the author of the 18th century, excuse me, 19th century, he said this, when the wicked are envied by the righteous, it's as if a free person is looking at an incarcerated man enjoying their final meal. Let me say it again. If we found out somebody was being executed tomorrow and they got filet mignon, salmon, uh, wonderful salad, and all of the shrimp cocktail that they could ever enjoy, big prawns, none of us would be like, oh, lucky guy. Lucky guy. He's getting electrocuted tomorrow, but lucky guy today. The Bible tells us, excuse me, Charles Spurgeon said, it's as foolish for a a righteous man to look at the wicked and envy that person in the same manner that would be foolish for us to envy a person on death row eating their final meal. Look at the wicked contrasted with the good. If you read the following verses, and I won't take time to do it, but the Bible tells us this in verse number 23, that the good man has purpose. Verse 23 says, the steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. He might fall, he might falter, but he will not fail. Look what the Bible says about a good man. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. It's not like he falls down and is like, well, I'll just wallow here. No, the Lord raises him back up and allows him to have a second opportunity. Aren't you grateful for second chances? The Lord is a God of second chances. And he gives those who delight in him. Come on, we can get back up. Like a father caring for a toddler. Come on, we can get back up. You falter, but you don't fail. And they enjoy God's eternal wealth. There's a prize that is much more luxurious and much more opulent than anything this world has to afford. And they speak life. The Bible tells us in verse number uh, 31, uh, verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Verse 33, the Lord will not leave him in his land nor will condemn him when he is judged. He enjoys the protection of almighty God. Such a beautiful psalm. And then notice the celebration at the end. The celebration is this, that weight replaces worry and a legacy replaces lunacy, and satisfaction replaces selfishness, and there's help from on high. Would you read these last verses with me? Follow along in verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I've seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Look at the big, strong, mighty, wicked man who's got so much wealth and opportunity. He spreads himself like a green bay tree, but look what the Bible says. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not like a dandelion. Yet I saw him, could not be found. Mark, the perfect man, this is what God says. You watch. You find a 65-year-old person who's lived for the Lord and find a 65-year-old person who hasn't lived for the Lord. And you see which life you want to have. Ooh, that's a really good one, huh? Mark the perfect man, the complete, the one man who's been living the way he's supposed to. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the end of that wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He's their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help him and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So what does the Lord say? 
Don't worry, be happy. Shakabra. Why? You don't have to fret. You can trust. You can delight. You can commit. And when you commit, you can cease and you can rest in the promises of God and you can live the island life, brother. Don't worry, be happy. Trust in the Lord and do good. Father, we thank you for your word and the time together today. We pray to use it and help us to apply it to our lives. When the circumstances of this life overtake us and draw our attention away from you, I pray that we would remember the words that Psalm 37 teaches us, to fret not, to trust, to delight, to commit, to understand that you're in control of all things. Thank you for the contrast that you provided for us. And Father, may we be faithful ambassadors of who you are in this generation. We ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.